Welcome to The Jury Is Out, a podcast by and for trial lawyers looking for better ways to serve their clients. Your co-hosts are John Simon, founder of The Simon Law Firm, and St. Louis attorney Eric V. Hello, welcome to the next edition of The Jury Is Out. I'm John Simon. I'm Eric Veith. We're here to talk about case selection, and I think the best statement that sums up what you need to try to do in case selection is that sometimes the best case is the one you don't take. Because when you take a case, you've really adopted that case. It's your case for the next two and a half years. You've committed to it, or you should, you should have committed to it to take it through to the very end. And these cases, you can't look at a case and assume it's going to settle or get resolved in six months or three months or 12 months. When you make the decision to take a case, it's your case. And you need to commit to take that case to the very end, whether that's two years or three years or however long. You need to commit to put the necessary time and resources into that case. And you want to do that in a case that you believe in. And if you have any hesitation about whether or not you want to take the case, I think you should really look at it very closely and look at it from this perspective. See if you can find a reason why you shouldn't take the case. That's really how your evaluation or analysis should take place. You need to look at new cases from that point of view. Look at it critically and ask yourself, can I find a reason? Is there a reason why I shouldn't take this case? And I think that's really the approach. In the long run, it's going to serve your client better, and it's going to serve you better. What's at stake if you do take a bad case? It hurts morale. It makes you not want to be doing what your job is, which is terrible. And it can hurt the whole firm. So this is a critical moment of whether you take that case or don't take that case. I think we need to point out right now, I'm thinking about this issue in the context of representing the plaintiff, the party bringing the case. And I think that's a little different analysis than from the defense side. Most of the cases we handle in our office, we take on a contingency fee. However, there are some that we take on an hourly basis. And I think the analysis really is the same if you're representing the plaintiff. If you're talking to somebody about possibly pursuing a case, filing a lawsuit, getting involved in litigation, If somebody comes in and wants to pay you hourly for pursuing a case on their behalf, I think you need to look closely, just as closely as you would if it's on a contingency fee. In other words, if you're not willing to take the case on a contingency fee, I certainly wouldn't take the case on an hourly basis. It's really a situation where on a contingency fee, you've got some skin in the game. You're getting ready to take a case. The potential client comes into the office And what you're asking yourself is, am I willing to put in whatever time, effort, and resources are necessary to prosecute this case to the end? And I don't think it's a real service to the client to take a case that you don't believe in or you don't think is going to work out in the end. The client goes through the process too. And I think the best thing you can do for the client is give a good critical analysis of the case and tell them up front that you don't think it's a case that's worthwhile pursuing. We don't take this lightly. This is one of the most important things we do here at our office, case selection. And we look very carefully at the case. We look critically at the case. We don't make a snap decision on whether or not we're going to take it. Most often, it requires us to do some fairly significant investigation. Sometimes it requires us to file a lawsuit and do discovery before we can figure out whether we want the case. But I think it's a very, very important step in the process 
taking cases, the worst thing in the world is you don't want to have a case and you're six months into it or eight months into it, and then you find out, wow, this probably isn't a case that we should have taken. One of the guiding lights on case selection is your first impression of the case. It's never lost on me. There's only one time to see the case for the first time, and then you get invested in it, and then it's a little harder to extract yourself from it or to, to see it objectively, perhaps like other people see it. So that's a, that's a key moment when the client first walks in, first tells you the story, and that's something worth putting a pin in, remembering it all the way through. I think in this office, statistically, the last time I looked at it, we probably take less than one out of 40 cases that are presented to us. And you need to understand that most of the cases that come to us are on referral from other attorneys. So they've been, in a sense, screened before they've come to us. But that just shows you how, how particular we are in screening cases. You're absolutely right about first impression. When somebody, a client walks into the office, starts telling their story, it is the story that captures your attention, that captures your interest. First and foremost, what is the story? What happened? And that's usually what grabs me first. I listen to the story, and what is my gut reaction? Should that have happened? Is it fundamentally unfair? And, and those are the kind of things that get me interested in the case. But you can't stop there. You can't like the story and then say, well, okay, we like the story. We're going to go ahead and go forward with the case. The next step is to analyze it critically. And what I try to do is I try to think of reasons not to take it. I look at it from the defense side. How, how would I defend this case? And I would say every minute that you spend on investigating a case is well worth it. You just don't want to sign up the case, get it in, file it, and then do some discovery. You really need to look closely at what you're getting into before you get into it. It's an interesting mindset when someone comes in with a new case. You've got to be wary of your optimism. If you're an optimistic, upbeat person who thinks, I can do it, and I can help this person, that could hurt you. And you don't want to be too negative either, because then you'll never take a case. You know, every case is difficult, has its challenges. It's funny, one of the things that I think sharpens your analysis is losing a case. Just you were talking about, are you an optimistic person? Are you generally pessimistic? And you look at the strong points of every case and ignore the weak points. And certainly you want to look at everything, but some of us generally are more optimistic. I tend to be more optimistic about cases all the way through the process. I'm, I think I'm an optimist versus a pessimist. But it's interesting because if you just come off of a really good, significant victory in a case, that's the worst time in the world to evaluate a new case, I think, because you think, well, wow, I can, I can win anything. And whatever comes in, there might be some problems or issues with it. And you're optimistic because of the, the last case you had that you won. You tend to overlook those things. On the flip side... I think the, the best thing for a healthy scrutiny or review of a new case is to go out, try a two-week case, maybe a med-mal case in a so-so venue, and lose it. Boy, that kind of sticks in your head, and that makes you way, way more focused and keen on evaluating the next one that comes in. Losing a case is the best thing ever for being able to screen the next one. You can't jump into something with the idea, hey, this seems like a good idea, let's just jump into it without a plan of how you're going to get from A to B, B being the closing argument in front of the jury. I assume that's what you do, is you, you have to see it, uh, have some sort of a vision, how we're going to get from A to B. That's a great point. When you evaluate a new case, when you're sitting there talking to the client, you've got to ask yourself, is this something I'm going to take all the way through? 
And I think the trap that a lot of lawyers fall into is they say, well, you know, maybe we can just settle this case or maybe we can do some discovery and get it settled. It's got problems. It has issues. And I think that's the wrong way to go. I think you need to make a decision because you really don't know. John, uh, we've been talking about the case selection in a general sense to this point. So do you have any specific criteria that you use in determining whether to take a case? I compare this analysis to evaluating baseball players. And there's a rule in baseball. I think it's not not a rule, but there's a term in baseball when they're referring to a player as a five-tool player. And it's a method that is used to evaluate baseball players. And by five tools, they, they look at the individual player. Do you want that player on your team? How do they hit? One is, do they hit for power? Another is, do they hit for average? How's their arm? How are they on the bases speed-wise? What kind of defensive player are they? Do they have a good glove? And I kind of take that analysis when I'm looking at cases. There's usually not one thing in a case that causes you to take it. So you really need to look at all of these things. And so, for instance, you, you may have a case where the liability is just solid as can be or the conduct's very egregious. Maybe the damages aren't quite as high as you think they should be, but because the conduct is so bad, you lean toward taking that case. What I look at when a case comes in the door, I look at five or six things, and here are some of the things that I look at when I'm deciding whether or not I want to take the case. First of all, when they come in the door, it's got to be a good story. you got to listen to the story and feel compelled to take the case. you got to want to take the case for whatever reason. It might be because of the person you're talking to, because of the conduct involved, but assuming you want to take the case, what do you do next? Well, what I do is I look at, at at least five different factors. One is top of the list. Who is the client? Who the client is is one of the most important decisions in whether or not you take that case. I have found over the years that jurors help people that they like. And if you've got a likable client, a client with a good, compelling story, that's a big factor in, in leaning toward taking a case. I want somebody that the jury will like, and I think the jury likes people who are real with some faults. They're not perfect. Whoever had a perfect client, but I don't know, do you have any heuristic, any rule of thumb for how to decide whether this person is shooting straight with you, is credible, will be likable to the jury? You know what? I think it's pretty simple. If I meet with somebody for two hours or three hours or an hour and a half, and I just love them, I like them, other people are too. It's just not that complex. If you meet with somebody and they're a good, honest person, very straightforward, likable, if you like them, other people will like them too. And and that's sort of how I I look at the first factor. The second factor is what what are the damages? The third factor is where is this case going to be filed? Is it going to be in federal court? Is it going to be in state court? What state? What county? Number four, liability. How is liability in the case? Is it open and shut? Is it strong? Is it weak? And then five, who's the defendant in the case? So those are five things. It's not exclusive. Obviously, there's still many other things that we look at, but those are the five things that I tend to look at in every case when I'm making the decision of whether or not to take it. And first, let's talk about the the client. And then second, damages. Got to look at the case in terms of What are the damages? And by damages, I mean causation. you got to look at the causation component. Whatever the conduct is that you're complaining about, obviously, what damages were caused by that? In handling class actions, I've developed what I consider a smell test. And you might have a case that has open and shut liability, 
and you have damages. Maybe it's under a federal statute that the defendant did something wrong. It's determined. It's clear. But it's a technicality. And it's not something I would be proud to put on the front page of the paper. It doesn't seem like the kind of case that I want to deal with. So the damages are actually there, causation, but there's another thing that I consider in class cases about whether it's worthy. But yeah, I agree exactly with you on on damages and causation. If you don't have that, you'll be spending two years getting to a disappointment for you and the client. Yeah, and the third thing on the list is venue. And that's the thing I think that potential clients understand the least when you start talking to them about where's this case going to be filed. But it is important, especially depending on the type of case. There are certain venues where a case like a medical malpractice case, a case against a doctor, a hospital, they just don't fare well. There are other venues where they're very, you know, you do a lot better. So that's something that you need to look at. Is it going to be in a good venue, an okay venue, a bad venue? And that's not always one of the main factors, but it is something that you need to think about. Those are shifting sands in my experience. I I hear many attorneys talking about where certain cases will succeed as plaintiff cases, and it might not be the same today as it was 30 years ago. Yeah, and I think that the next one, liability, number four, typically that's something we look at in the beginning. It's something the client comes in and wants to tell you about, and obviously liability needs to be strong in the case. But it's important to point out that there's not one of these elements that carries the day for you. You really need to look at all of them, but it's interesting because you may have a very, very strong case on liability, and that would tend to make the level of damages that you need a little bit less, but it really is a combination. It's a, what's the word I'm looking for? A, a uh, sort of a sliding scale, and it's back to the baseball player analogy. If you've got a player who isn't real fast around the bases but can hit 50 home runs a year, guess what? That player's on your team. If you have a player that, you know, maybe they're not the best fielder, but they can hit 300 batting average with power, you're going to find a way to put that player on the team. And that's kind of what I'm talking about with the cases where if you have some really just terrible conduct that needs to be brought to the public's attention and a good client, maybe even if the damages aren't as significant as you would like, you go ahead and you take that case for for the right reasons. So if you have strong liability, and you're thinking, man, this is lock solid. It's A leads to B leads to C, and the C is a terrible injury or massive economic damages. We assume that that jury is going to think the same thing. Like, wow, that's a very important factor that I assume in a jury's mind, none of these things are absolutely separate from each other. They go into the pot, and like you say, with the five factors for the baseball player, they think the same thing. Like, maybe the client is not the most likable person. They're not dislikable, but maybe they're not the most likable. But this liability is super strong. So we're invested in the case. Yeah. And then finally, the last one is who's the defendant? Who you bring the claim against? Who are you suing? And by that, I mean, is it a million dollar damage case and you've got $25,000 in coverage? Is it a small company? Is it a large company? You may have a great case on liability and a significant amount of damages, but you have a defendant that doesn't have the resources or the coverage to to pay the compensation. So again, that's something you need to look at in the beginning before you start out on the case. Defendant comes into it on commercial cases too. What also strikes me as we're talking about these things, it's almost like when you evaluate these things, over-optimism and enthusiasm are your enemy. You can't just go in and go, I'm looking just for the good things. I'm cherry-picking my favorite parts of these things. I think the best experience you can have 
for making you a better case evaluator is to sign up five or 10 cases that aren't so good and spend a year or two working on those. And boy, that will cure you of any false optimism. I can guarantee you that. But part of this too is I don't want it to sound like it's some long, lengthy process for evaluating cases. You really need to look at a shortcut. So let's talk about this initial screening, situations where you can right off the bat pretty easily look at something and say, no, that's not a case we want to handle. As an example, if it's a product liability case or or let's say a medical malpractice case, your ability to evaluate the liability most often is going to take a while. You're not going to be able to evaluate the liability in a product case or a medical malpractice case in a phone call, in a 15 or 20 minute phone call. With an auto accident, it's a little bit different. If somebody stopped and somebody hits them from behind, yeah, okay, the, the liability's there. So in cases that are a little more complex, what I try to do is I try to look at the more obvious things first. So if it's a medical malpractice case or a product liability case, I know that's a case we're going to spend two years on. We're going to spend fifty to two or $300,000 maybe. And so I start with the damages. What are the damages? When we're talking to the, the client, what I want to know is, what did you go through? But, but most importantly, how are you doing now? Because if it is a product case or a med mal case, and they've really gone through some bad stuff, but they're okay now, there is no permanent injury, it's probably not a case that's going to work out for the client or you if it's a med mal or product case. The thought occurred to me that that might not be as easy an analysis if you are a general practice attorney. All of us are occasionally reaching beyond the comfortable and taking cases that we haven't handled before. But the difference is probably dramatic in terms of how much time it takes to analyze the case. If someone walks in with a products liability case, it's a severe injury, liability seems clear, venue's great, that doesn't take nearly the time it might take to have something else come in. I'm wondering how often that happens that you have a kind of a new thing come in where it's not your normal thing that's in your wheelhouse. One thing to do would be to co-counsel with somebody that does handle that type of case or just refer them the case, and I think that's probably the best thing to do. But occasionally, for whatever reason, you might want to take a case that's sort of out of your wheelhouse a little bit, and you've got to understand that that's going to take a lot more time than your typical case. You need to be committed to spend the appropriate amount of time so that you understand the law, you know what you're doing, and I think, you know, in that situation, you still team up with somebody that's been down that road before. I think it's better for you. It's better for the client. I think especially to the younger lawyers and those attorneys who are handling cases on a contingency fee basis, my overall advice would be in case selection, if you're in doubt at all, I would lean toward not taking the case. You're better off spending your extra time working on marketing, developing relationships, writing some articles, doing some continuing legal education, getting more involved in the community. All of those things are going to be a much better help to you in your profession than sitting in the office and working on a bunch of cases that really you shouldn't be working on. Here's an exception to that rule. You get a call from a federal judge who says, I just appointed you to uh, represent a man who's in prison and you're his attorney. That's actually an opportunity. That happened to me about eight months ago. I was appointed to represent a fellow who was in prison. He's out of prison now, but I'm, I'm going to bat for him. And it's not the kind of case I would normally have taken. And it sometimes felt like a burden in the early going, but now it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity because you don't have a choice. You've been appointed. So now you got to do your best. 
and it's feeling like a, a, a really good experience now. And it got a lot harder before it got easier in terms of the research. It sounds like a great learning experience for you too. Yeah. That concludes this session. I hope our uh, discussion gave you some ideas about what to do when the next case comes in the door. We'll see you next time. We'll have another topic for you. Take care. John and Eric would like to hear from you. They invite you to email your comments and suggestions to comments at thejuryisout.law. To learn more about the dedicated trial lawyers of the Simon Law Firm, visit simonlawpc.com.